Today's episode is sponsored by SysPro. I'm going to interrupt this episode a little bit later to tell you all about them. And my personal life was a mess. We had three young kids and my marriage was in shambles. I had given this place everything. I had given it my time. I had taken every client call. I was trying to create a culture that people wanted to work at. But instead of building something I was proud of or that company giving me anything in return, it had become a monster that was eating everything I loved. That's Tiffany Sauter, the president, CEO, and visionary of Element 3, a full-service marketing agency in Carmel, Indiana. She's a wife, mom, podcaster, and entrepreneur. She was also the headliner at our EOS conference this year in Indianapolis. Also, I'm just going to get my my soda can opened. I stay caffeinated 100% of the day. It's not healthy. I already know this, but, you know. You do a lot of other things to pour into your health. Look at you. You're like, you're going to like give me some therapy today. So I love it. We all have a thing. We all have a thing. We all have a thing. So hello and happy Friday. (laughs) Thank you, Pam. It's great to be here. It's great to meet you. And again, I have to tell you that there's been countless conversations and people coming up to me from the conference that said, literally the ticket to the conference was validated alone by watching your keynote. Like you have to understand the impact you made. Mm. It was pretty cool. Thank you for that gift of telling me that. Thank you. This is We Run on EOS, and I'm your host, Pam Kosenke. In this show, we look at the game-changing moments in business through the eyes of the entrepreneurs and the EOS implementers who have lived them. In episode two, Shannon Alberts mentioned how a recent keynote, quote, punched him right in the face. Our guest today is the one who gave that keynote. Today's story is for anyone who feels like they've given their all and it doesn't feel like it's enough. Somehow I was working so hard and like literally giving this life, my days, my relationships, my commitments, every ounce of what I had available and it wasn't working. I think like when you're young, I grew up in an entrepreneurial home. I saw my parents work for things on the long run. I was the firstborn, you know, they joke you grow up in the lean years, but I really did. I saw the hard work part of what my parents have today. I lived that. I saw the sacrifices. We would go days without seeing my dad because he would leave early in the morning and be back late at night. And I saw all of that hard work. And so that was familiar to me. This idea of delayed gratification, of not getting what you want right at the beginning, of showing up even when it's hard, of like working for it. And I had done that long enough where I was like, either I'm not going to be okay if I get there, that maybe it's not worth getting there. I remember having this vision that I was running this race and I was getting to the finish line and there was all these people cheering. You do races. I've done like half marathons. You know, like There's all this fanfare and energy and a finish line and all this stuff. And I was crossing the finish line and nobody was behind me. Nobody was with me. I was all alone. My family wasn't with me. My husband wasn't with me. The people I was leading were not with me. I was all alone. As soon as I started speaking with Tiffany, it was really clear to me that this woman is allergic to average. She is built and prepared to run through brick walls. But the cost of doing so was really the tipping point. It was lonely for her and it was way too hard. And this moment of realizing how alone she was was truly the beginning of Tiffany's radical shift and how she ran her business and frankly, her life. 
And she spoke of a moment sitting in her car, pounding her steering wheel, and truly desperate for a break, so much so that she almost wished she had gotten into an accident and could be in the hospital just to rest. It was this harrowing but relatable moment and extremely vulnerable, where the audience caught their breath and was right there in the story with her, knowing that something had to change. And in my makeup as a human being, I want to have impact on other people. And so being alone meant to me I wasn't having impact. And I realized, I think, in that moment of silence that I was trading the relationships, the people I thought I wanted to serve and love, I was trading that for this ambition. And it wasn't fitting together. And my relationships were a mess. And my business was a mess. And I was a mess. I was like, if I knew how to do this, I think I would have made some progress by now. So that's kind of where I was at. You know, you're literally describing the feelings and kind of those points of desperation around what we call hitting the ceiling in EOS. But it sounds like you were hitting the ceiling on literally every front possible at that moment, personally, professionally. It was a realization. Yeah, I wasn't equipped to run the business in the size that it was. We had almost 70 people, which was just a monster company. And I was totally ill-equipped to do that. I didn't know how to be in a marriage. I didn't know how to show up well as a partner. I didn't know how to tell him what I needed from him. I didn't know what good expectations were of that relationship. I didn't know how to be a mom. I didn't know how to balance having a career and being present in a way that was adequate for the way that I pictured my life. I didn't know how to be a friend. I didn't know how to do those things. And that is scary when you're leading a lot of things. To admit to yourself, I don't know how to do all of these roles that I'm pretending to do. I don't know how to do it. Sometimes admitting you don't know how to do something is actually the beginning of mastery. Tiffany's humility at recognizing her weakness in these areas was actually a game-changing moment for her. Tireless commitment to her team and her vision for her life. Saying hard truths and being radically honest with yourself and others ends up being the only way. At this point in the conversation, it just strikes me how hard it is for entrepreneurs especially to admit when they simply don't have the answers, that they don't know what the next steps are, that they don't know what they're doing, and that that is literally what entrepreneurism is. We're creating things, we're inventing things, we're building new ways of moving, and yet it almost feels odd to hear someone say that they don't have all the answers. And then, boom, come the flood of emotions around that admission. And we get right into that next. I think my mindset changed where I'm very competitive. And I think I was playing to win everything in a way that was not serving me. I began mentally processing that a truth may need to be that I have to let go of the agency that I may have to let go of my company. I began processing that a truth may need to be that I let go of working and I need to be home. A truth may need to be that I have to let my marriage go. As we know the end of the story, we know those things boomeranged back into my life. But I began to like stop fighting so hard in a way that was ignoring the brutal facts of where things were. Because when you're trying to win it all, when I was trying to win the day with my husband. Like, let's make it okay. Let's have a great dinner out. Let's like, have fun. Let's go do something. Let's buy a ticket somewhere. All of that was like winning the day of my time with him. But it was not honoring the truth of where our relationship really was. 
Does that make sense? Oh, yes, hands down. And you start to ask yourself, you know, but it doesn't feel at all the way it's supposed to feel if I'm truly winning on every front. Yes. And I was like these, and like even the day, you know, you think about your calendar. It's like, I was prepared for all my meetings. I was on time. I had a nice outfit on. I was clean, whatever. It's like, and then I won my day, but I wasn't being honest about, but the days I'm putting together are not building a company that's winning. Yeah. And the days my husband and I were putting together was not building a marriage that was winning. And I was too fearful to say those things out loud for fear that I would lose total sight of my identity as a human being. What were the feelings associated with that? Take me through just like what that feels like. And at some point you break down because there's nowhere to go. The why isn't there. The happiness, there was some sort of benefit from doing all those things and winning all those days is not there. So just take me through some of that idea of growth without profitability. There's probably a like psychology framework for this. I think I started off pissed. I was just pissed off. I was pissed off that I'd done all the right things. I was pissed off that I'd gotten up early. I was pissed off that like, you know, people had told me I was doing a good job actually. And I was pissed off that it wasn't playing out. And so I think I started there. And I was pissed at like all those awards. I was pissed at Inc. 5000. I really was. And now I can say, hey, objectively, they're just also trying to make money. These are revenue generators for them. They're trying to expand their reach. Totally get it. Totally get the game. But I was like pissed because I'm like, you baited me. You baited me with believing if I had enough press releases that it was going to get me business and that was going to build a business that was lasting. Like you, you baited me with that crap. And I, I was mad. And then I think I went to the place where I was kind of blaming other things. Like I was mad that my dad was a business partner with me in those days. And I was mad that he didn't like tell me more about what I should be doing. I was mad that, you know, I hadn't seen an environment, like my mom stayed home. My dad had worked. And so I was mad I hadn't seen up close a marriage of a two career family. Like I was just mad at that. And I felt like, that was other people's fault that I didn't know those things. I think that was the second place I went to, mm-hmm. <laughs> being really honest. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I've given this everything. I'm so tired. I've done all the things people told me to. I go to church on Sundays. I'm raising the kids. They have everything they need. My husband, I'm trying. I'm trying. And I think everybody, like, I'm trying. It's not that I like was in bed trying to screw this up. You know, that's like what I felt like. I wasn't asleep at the wheel. I was working actually really hard. And so I started to say, okay, if all of it's my fault, how do I react? Like, let's go through the thinking action. If the fact that my marriage is not what I want it to be is 100% my fault, let's not try to sort through what's my fault, is 100% my fault, what could I do about it? If my business not being what I want it to be is 100% my fault, what can I do about it? And I started to like the thinking process of like, well, the locus of control goes back to me entirely if I take 100% of the blame. It was actually the place I felt the most powerful was saying, it's all my fault, 100%. I didn't know what to do. That's okay. I'm not going to blame my younger self for that. I have the choice today to have the humility to say it's all my fault, or I can continue on in my stubborn arrogance and continue to blame everybody for not telling me what to do and lauding my heroic effort. Like those are my choices. 
And I think I started to say, there's two places, there's two options for failure. The first option of failure is to say, right here today, my efforts are not getting me what I want. And so I am going to admit I'm failing right now at this level, you know, wherever I was in the free fall and have a choice to choose something else. Or I can be really prideful and not say that and actually find failure when I have divorce papers in my email, when I have bankruptcy papers in my email, like I can wait all the way to that spot on the journey. I can do that instead. And I think I, maybe this is where visionary tendencies are helpful actually and like rolling forward time of like, this is what's happening. And I have to have the courage to not be the smart, amazing, rocket ship female entrepreneur in our city. Six, seven years ago, like element three was in the paper. I was doing all these things. And it was like, wow, Tiffany, you're amazing. You're crushing it. And my business was not crushing it. Somebody needed to save me from myself. And then we like went dark for four years and we worked on the business and we worked on our culture and I worked on my marriage and I worked on myself. And like this time, it's real. It's funny. The things we fear most, the things we would rather hide from or ignore, lose their power and control over our lives when we name them. But for most of us, we don't have this kind of wisdom when we're starting out. You know, I was 25 when I started the agency. And when you're in consulting, your job is to know the answer to things. So I think vulnerability to me went early meant that I was giving my power away. And I, I think the idea of being vulnerable made it seem like best case scenario, the teeter-totter had equal weights, you know, worst case scenario, the client or the other person in the room had all the power and I was being taken along for the ride and I wasn't like so into the way that I thought that would feel. <laughs> and so I, you know, in my high D personality and my natural like, you know, way that I exude the things, I was very good at maintaining control and power in a room, in a relationship, at a lunch, whatever it was. But in that, when you are that person, you always pick where the conversation starts. And when you don't start it at a place that's vulnerable, you have a long life of very shallow engagements. You know, they just don't know that much about you. You don't know that much about yourself and you don't know that much about the world. And I think that what I went through in 2018 was so visceral. I couldn't hide it from everyone. And so there were people that I had to trust with the truth of what was going on because I couldn't pretend every day for every minute, you know? And I think the process of beginning to trust people with the truth of where I was brought them to a place where they trusted me with the truth of who they were. And I saw it create this cycle of just rich life that was, this isn't me pretending to be perfect. This is me as a student of life, claiming and owning as honestly the worst parts of my decisions, the worst parts of my, you know, journey as I claim the highest parts of my, like, you know what I mean? As I, as with the same intensity that I claim the, the highest part. And I just started to see, feel that that felt freeing to not have to avoid a place the conversation might go. And I started to realize like, I think actually what life is, is like we all have these little pockets, like literally a pocket, like a pocket 
of things we've learned that life has taught us. And to the extent that we can trade those like fast, we grow as a people group so much more richly than when we like keep our pocket like stapled closed. And I started to see my own growth change. I started to see the way I knew I could see, I saw the way I understood I could help other people, the way that I was observing the world. And I just like my whole life started to change. And I was like, I'm just going to say the thing. The worst thing is they're not going to like me and that's okay. Like I'm okay with that. You know, you said a very clear statement in your presentation and it it almost seems like it's helped transform the way you even work through change management. And it was that truth rebuilds trust. It seems like that's something that you just described, this idea that just saying it and not protecting people from that because giving them agency over the ability to say, I understand that. I can have compassion for that, right? If they're the right people in the right seats, then they absolutely can help solve that problem and go with you versus have you be in isolation trying to figure that out on your own. Take us through a little bit of how that now is almost your mode of leadership, it seems like, and how you balance the truth in conversations and in leadership team meetings and with your agency versus almost oversharing kind of thing. Help me understand your balance there. Yeah, I have a couple rules for that. One is I will always protect the home team first. So my husband and my kids are my home team and I will never share something that I know that they would not feel comfortable sharing themselves. So I may feel more comfortable sharing some things about my husband and I or our relationship or something that happened that I think is funny or vulnerable that he's not. So my rule number one is protect the home team first. Sometimes my face can get in front of my planning. And so there are times I have to go to my husband and say, I told this story and I didn't ask you for permission. I need you to know that. So if you hear about it and if you never want me to tell it again, I will respect that. So he has, I would say his comfort level for vulnerability has been challenged being married to me. It's not a natural state of how he grew up. And so first, I think we have to be careful that the stories we tell, the things we share, never are hurting the people that we are supposed to love the most. The other is that I try to be vulnerable with the people who have the ability to help me with the thing I'm being vulnerable about. An example I use is when we were going through the process of putting a president in place at Element 3, I was first very open with Kyler, the person who ultimately stepped into that seat, that that was something I wanted to do. If I would have on that same day, gone out to the whole organization and said, hey guys, I'm just kind of thinking about like moving out of my seat and becoming, you know, putting a president in place. They would have freaked out. They have no agency over that decision. They have no way of informing it. If anything, I don't have a plan. So rightly they're responding out of fear. So it was right for me to be vulnerable with Kyler that, hey, I'm feeling pulled to the next thing in my life. And I see very clearly you need the next challenge is this the right thing? And then when we shared with the agency what was happening, I walked them all the way through why. When I was 25 years old and I started this agency, I told myself when my kids were in middle school, I wanted the option to be home when they came home from school. As a person, that was a commitment I made to myself and I want to make good on that. So I told, I'm vulnerable to them about my why. I'm vulnerable to them about them about the work Kyler and I have done to build trust and for me to feel confident that this is the right thing for their future. I'm vulnerable in that story, but I wasn't, 
I didn't have a megaphone every time that we had an iteration closer to that that said, hey, I just want to vulnerably bring everybody into this process. It would have been chaotic and unfair to them. And that doesn't mean I was being deceptive. But you were using discernment. And I think that's what's very interesting is that using truth, leveraging truth, talking about truth is very, very powerful. And also you can use it in inappropriate ways, but it sounds like you found a really good balance. Having a virtual assistant who is trained on EOS can help you get unstuck as a visionary or an integrator. As the EOS preferred assistant service provider, AssistPro can help you with a right fit assistant matching your personality and communication style. Get the $25 an hour work off your plate and give it to an assistant who truly understands EOS. Visit assistpro.com and learn how their right fit assistance can be the right move for you. You said three specific things that, you know, in your presentation around very specific themes, I would say, that you felt like the audience needed to hear in your journey. And one was vulnerability, and we just got done speaking about that. The second was about making decisions. And the third was about discipline. Take me a little bit through those last two and kind of how important that was in your journey to understand how to use those effectively. Well, decisions, I think, feel like a real simple thing. Like, yeah, you make a decision. And my observation in my own behavior is that there are times that intentions, decisions are disguised as intentions, but I don't really have any discernible action towards that. So I think they do serve each other, decisions and discipline for sure. Because if you don't have new disciplines in place to move towards the decision you've made, then you're not actually doing anything differently. I had a woman on my podcast and she shared the story on the microphone so I know I can share it. And she had recently, like I said, you just look so vibrant. Like I had known her for a while. I'm like, I'm just experiencing you as like a really centered, very vibrant version of yourself. And she said, you know, Tiffany, I've been on this health journey the last year or so. And she said, I saw a picture of myself and I started bawling. And she said, there is no way that's me. I can tell you that story and you know, she decided, she decided it's not about the right shape or size of someone, but where she was, was not okay with her. And she felt that so viscerally, she was like, there's no way that's who I am. So I think as we get to be adults, we start losing sight of the fact that we have a finite capacity and we have lots of ambitions and lots of dreams and lots of intentions and lots of things we think we want to change about our lives. And we really underestimate the fact that it takes a series of disciplines that at first are very uncomfortable. And I talk about having the humility to step into new disciplines. We love our most capable self. We love our routines. We love the things of like, oh, I mean, I knew how to run the shit out of my calendar when I was going a thousand miles an hour. I had to learn how to be intentional, how to delegate, how to clearly tell people with the same words over and over where it was that we were going. Those were very uncomfortable, clumsy disciplines. EOS asks grownups who otherwise think they know how to navigate life, which may or may not be true, you guys know as implementers, to try on a totally new set of language, a totally new set of behaviors, to trust a usage of their time that they've never seen output from before. And it is scary. And like, why do people like 
sign up for diets or sign up for a trainer and then argue with them <laughs> about what to do. Like pisses me off. Do the thing, you know? But they don't because they just think that we just think as adults, we just know all the things, but we don't. So I think that, yes, first you have to be honest with yourself vulnerably about where are the things that you are determined to change in your life. And it starts, I have found, with admitting to yourself how bad it really is. I have a hard time making proactive change before I hit the wall. And so oftentimes I'm, you know, in a bit of a mess, making new decisions and then supporting those with eternally different disciplines so that your time, the things that you're doing are actually moving you to a totally different outcome in your life. Tell me what stops people from making decisions in your experience. Why do you think people don't make the decision? Or maybe just for you, what was it? Well, I think people make decisions and then the first hard thing comes and then they like bail on it intellectually. And the things that are in my head is like weight loss or implementing EOS. We use the example of implementing EOS. I can use that here. It's like people say I'm going to implement EOS. And then there's like that one executive that is like, I'm never implementing. So long as I'm here, I'm not running an L10. And you're like, okay, well, what do you like about it? It's like, I don't like L10. It's like, okay. And then you like negotiate on the name of the department meeting or something. And it becomes these small slivers of compromises that it's like, you're not implementing EOS anymore. You're doing some Frankenstein version of what you think is new behavior that's totally disconnected from each other. You made the decision, in quotes, to implement EOS, but now you're horse trading at every turn because it feels difficult to get people on board. Or in my own case, like, I had a baby at 40 in the middle of COVID and I was never more uncomfortable in my body. It was hard for me. I'd never been like that. I've never been so weak. It was a really hard place. And I could have probably, I'm two and a half years into my journey of putting myself back to that. I probably could have gotten here in six months. But I had to admit to myself, I don't have the capacity I'm not willing to trade other things out of my life that are important to get to this place in six months, but I can get here in two and a half years. Wow. And giving yourself permission to do that. Permission. Yeah. And that's okay. That's progress in the right direction. I'm not willing, I'm not willing to not get seven hours of sleep every night. I'm just not willing to do it. I don't function well. It doesn't work. I'm not willing. I'm not willing after my dinner to go back out on a walk and burn another 400 calories. I'm just not willing to do some of those things. That's okay. That doesn't make that not a goal to get back to myself to feel really strong. It doesn't mean that I'm not on a wellness journey, but it does mean that my timeline, my decision to get back to where I want to be is not in six months. And we're not honest with ourselves about the fact that we have finite capacity and we have a finite ability to ingest the goals that we want in our lives. And if we don't force rank them about what is most important, I have a very finite amount of time that my kids are going to be in my house. And so there are some things I want to learn how to play pickleball so bad, Pam. No idea. <laughs> you are invited to Minnesota, by the way, to play pickleball. At I'm going to be amazing. You're going to teach me. You're going to be my I love I'm going to be your partner. I'm going to love it. I know I'm going to love it. I love the whole thing. I've played casually. I want to be in a league so bad, but not more bad than I want to be with my kids right now. Does that make sense? Maxing out capacity is easy for visionaries and high achievers with a thousand ideas but we all have a finite amount of time. So the question becomes, at what cost? I personally love all the things, but at some point, raising the floor is even more impactful than chasing the next shiny object. Tiffany nails it when she gives a fresh perspective on improving capacity. Focus on your minimums 
and set your non-negotiables. The reason I know about all these things that I'm talking about, about the way not to do them, is because it's exactly how I was doing it. I'm terrible at incremental change. I'm terrible at it. But what I learned, so we'll go back to my health journey. 40 years old, had a baby in the middle of COVID. And I was like, I needed to lose 60 pounds. But you needed to. I needed to. Yes, for my body. You're personally, you needed to. You felt that need. Yes. And to get back to myself, like that was what I needed. So I've learned to change the goal from I'm going to lose two pounds this week. I can't control the speed at which my body metabolizes its fat. I don't know. I know, you know what I'm saying? But what I could control is I could control that I am going to lift 45 minutes, two days a week. That was my minimum. My goal was maybe to work out five times a week. But I knew for certain there are going to be weeks I cannot work out five times a week. Again, going back to my own personal, like, I just know I won't push myself that hard. I just know I won't in that area. I just won't. (laughs) It's fine. I get to choose that. And so I knew I could, no matter what, no matter where I was, if I was on vacation, if I was home, that I could lift 45 minutes, two days a week. Because if I couldn't do it at all during the week, I could do it Saturday and Sunday. Ideally, I did it Tuesday and Thursday, but if that didn't work, my husband was traveling Monday through Thursday. I could still do Friday, Saturday. If he was going to be traveling, like, you know, like I knew two days, no matter what, I could solve for that. And literally for probably 20 months, that was the only thing I committed to. Oh, wow. And I did not change my minimum. Wow. I would say it's still my minimum. I now most often get to the gym three times a week. Again, some weeks, six times a week. Oh my word, stars aligned, amazing. Sun was shining, no rain. Tiffany got to do her thing. Amazing. It's just not on the regular. I love those weeks. I can't count on those weeks. And I don't beat myself up when that is not my week. Right. Because you had made, and so that's part of the discipline behind the decision and your very strategic approach to it. Take me back to those key decisions in your business that you made that are just like the game changers one. And this could be, of course, starting EOS, and I get that. That feels like a turning point for you to say, I don't have this, I need some help, and I need a system to help me do something new, like hiring a trainer for a gym, right? Like, let's go. What about a people move? What about a, just a business model move? What was a massive decision that you made? I will say, not just because I'm on the We Run on EOS podcast, they would expect us to say a life-changing decision was to say we run on EOS, moving to EOS. But sincerely, it was absolutely life-changing that EOS was at its place of maturity, that, you know, a series of random things happened such that, you know, I watched Mike Payton speak. I feel like so many people say that. And it was like, I just was in enough of a pickle that I knew this is what we needed to do. And I'm so grateful for EOS. The other thing that came to mind is we had a layoff that I knew was coming. I knew that we needed to execute and we'd been planning for that. And I have a great partner in my VP of talent and she had been, you know, with great precision, helping us make sure that that was orchestrated well. And on my way to work that day, in a way that I can't explain, this feeling washed over me that we had it wrong. Not that we needed to lay people off. I knew that we had to from a financial perspective, but that we needed to change our strategy about who we were letting go. So it's like 8.30 that morning. The whole thing is supposed to go down around noon. And I call my VP of talent. I've never told this story before. And I tell her we have it wrong. But it still had to happen that day. So 
I don't want to go through the gory details, but we changed the strategy. Literally of who you were going to let go that day? Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. And we both knew it was right, but we changed our minds that morning. And I needed to address the rest of the organization that evening, that afternoon, who was still there. And I did not have time to prepare because literally it was on my drive in that morning. We did a, you know, a round robin of making sure the people who were informed knew that the plan was changing. And it was like a, you know, a whole fire drill, a whole fire drill. Yes. And I talked to the company that afternoon in a way that was the most honest way I had ever spoken to them because I didn't have time to prepare. Ooh. And so I could only speak the truth. And it was one of those rooms where, you know, you're like, you can't even hear people breathe. Like it was so still. And I knew that they were listening to me so intently. And I knew the consequence of my words were enormous because they were going to decide at the end of it whether they trusted me with continuing employment here, continuing to work here, or they were going to be like, this is like a mess. And I think that was where I first experienced the power of vulnerability, how connected it is to the truth, and truth as the first seed of rebuilding trust. Because I hadn't had time to be Tiffany, to pitch them, <laughs> to yeah. be a marketing person. To be a bullshit artist around the truth yeah. in some ways. Yeah. To like, you know, hey guys, you know, like, I know, like, you know, just like kind of be a hype girl, which you can get into that as a leader where you feel like, hey, you know, I guess it's going to be good. Like, we're going to get back to work and it's going to be fine. And like, you're just talking in your head and you know what that sounds like. And we've all been there. I had to talk from my heart. And I think everybody who is in that room will say they remember very specifically that meeting. And I think the fact that I was so caught off guard in my preparedness made me see the power of vulnerability and leadership. So those are just inflection points. I think the culture that we have at this agency, I think is probably our most valuable weapon as we continue to compete in the marketplace. And it is predicated on the fact that like we just, we tell people what's really going on. And people who have agency, who believe they have the ability to change things, most want the truth. Wow. That's a powerful statement. And you said it, this idea of going from your head to your heart. Tell me a little bit about what that means to really speak from your heart. And did you think that you weren't speaking from your heart before? Or is this, was this kind of a new way of moving? I think it's a new way of moving. I don't remember exactly what I said in that room. But if I were doing it today, it would sound something like, I know it doesn't change what happened. But this is one of those days as a leader, you hope you never have to actually live. You just want to read about it. But here we are. And rightly, the questions you should be asking are, what the hell happened? And where from here? And so like, it, like I, again, I'm not like rehearsed, but like, it's like telling people like, this is where I am. We're in this together. I don't want to be here, but I have to be. And by no fault of your own, we're in this together. (laughs) And you have a choice to make of whether you're going to trust me at the end of this. I understand that. I can't make that choice for you. The thing I remember the most is they were hungry. It was either the first session or the second session where Tiffany said, we're going to become your best client. Like we're going to be the best you've ever had. 
That's Justin Maust, Element 3's EOS implementer, reflecting on what the company was like when they first started working together. As goes the leadership team, so goes the whole organization. But that's Tiffany Souter. Like, that's who she is. She's a vulnerable, very self-aware and willing to put it out there. And so because she was that way, the leadership team was like, we're going that way too. So they were all, I would say, above average when it came to a desire to be truthful with self, honest, vulnerable, upfront. So they had that muscle, but it was not ridiculously strong because they had that false culture because they didn't have the disciplines. They weren't owning some of those core human disciplines that actually get the results. I remember there was a moment where they were tolerating low financial performance. And I just said, when would you guys like to actually own your financials? Like, when would you like to? And she was like, now. So within a 90-day period, they moved the EBITDA number 24 points, negative 6% EBITDA to positive 18 in 90 days. And so they actually did a couple things in those moves because they had some, you know, some people that weren't right people in the right seats and they just were tolerating some people issues. And there was that contributed to cost. Like it was a more expensive organization. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, the sense of like, we're just running faster in the hamster wheel. Like everything is awesome. <laughs> like, is it? Yeah. <laughs> is it? Is it awesome if you're not actually getting the results that you want? The pivot, Pam, was when Tiffany like internalized and realized we are lacking discipline. The organization is lacking discipline. And she was at the top of the organization and she raised her hand and she said, I have got to have an integrator. I need someone that is disciplined. And that was probably one of the most pivotal moments is when she let go of the vine. And she said this on the stage. She said, if you want to have a disciplined organization, you have to empower a disciplined person. And that wasn't me. She even said, I remember a conversation she's like, Justin, I can't even coach my integrator because I don't know how to be a great integrator. She goes, I just need to let my integrator be a freaking awesome integrator. And she let go of the vine and she empowered a couple amazing young integrators. Like They just, they were like a dog in the back of a meat truck when she empowered them. Like they loved her and loved the mission so much. They let their unique ability shine. And now the organization became more disciplined. And then the decision of Tiffany realizing that she could let go and her realization that For years and years and years, she even said something like this to me. I never thought it was okay for me to expect something from my company. I just figured I was just going to have to keep giving and it would never give back to me. And she almost didn't lose hope, but she just didn't put that on the table because that was maybe too selfish. And when you have a leader like that, that is that vulnerable, that transparent, she said that in the room, all of a sudden, all the... John Maxwell talks about you have to have change in your pocket. So when you have to make tough decisions, you have a little change to dole out to maintain credibility and influence. She had built such a reservoir of influence and love and care and concern that when she vulnerably said, man, I would like to get a distribution. I would like to give bonuses to my team. I would like to have a company that can grow and withstand a downturn Man, that team was hungry to break through brick walls for her. And so it was super cool for me. Like I have goosebumps right now 
when we started to see the company transform and she's like, Justin, pinch me, I'm living my best life ever because we actually had the biggest distribution ever, biggest bonuses ever, best customer service numbers ever, best internal culture numbers ever. And it was because they owned all of that stuff leading up to those moments. And so the pivotal points for me is, it was all along the journey of just realization after realization. It was to me more of the commitment and conviction. We're just going to keep taking steps. Yeah. We're just like so many hard decisions and they were relentless for four years. Like they just never backed down from a thing. Sounds like it. yet another, it's not if it's when you face the next ceiling and just trusting that you start to get the muscle and the strength and the discipline have to use the tools and the leadership abilities to kind of break through that ceiling time and time again, right? Rinse, wash, repeat. We preach EOS, we have all these tools, but without that vulnerability, self-gut check, you will not gain as much traction as the other team. Like EOS doesn't deliver traction without human beings that are freaking committed to getting to that next level. I think that's a differentiator. I don't care what operating system anybody is using, human beings convicted to just get better is the game changer. And that is what Tiffany and her team did so well. And it's this conviction that has brought Tiffany's business to the next level, as well as every aspect of her life. I'm getting really clear that I love helping leaders become more of who they were supposed to be. And well, that's an interesting comment, by the way, who they were supposed to be. I think it's about living life on purpose, about saying like, I own, it is such a gift to be 43 years old and to say, I am crazy about my husband. I have no regrets about how my time is being spent towards my children. I am so aligned with the team that is leading the company I started. I feel so fulfilled in the effort, like that, this like creative endeavor of creating content to see like, how can my story help other people? Like it is a gift to live in that moment. And I was so close to living a regrettable existence that I think I'm like, I'm just paying so much attention. Like, what? This is, and I think we can get in the habit of like, oh, you know, yeah, marriage is hard. Like kids are tough. And I'm not saying it's perfect. Like that's different than saying, I love these things and I'm clear about my time and I'm invested in these people and they are not perfect. We're all growing, but I know we're going in the same direction. I know we're aligned in our values. I know that we want to put greatness in the world. And you felt that room. There are people who are grieving what they thought life was going to be and what it's become. And I experienced in five years a radical transformation in my life, not because I changed any of the people, <laughs> but because we changed our behavior in it. And I think it can change the world. And, you know, the world I know is entrepreneurs. The world I know is capitalism and business. The language I know is that world. And when we are whole as leaders, I said at the end of my talk, I had this big epiphany that like, if we're leading people and they are trusting us with their existence, their futures, ability to earn, their growth, their development, the challenges they get, the words we script into the way they see themselves, the 
experiences we put them in, the client environments that we're willing to subject them to, we are informing their lives more than any other force on this planet. And when we are not healthy, we cannot make healthy people. And so we have a responsibility as leaders, as keepers of these resources to be our best. And that takes really hard work. That's scary to do as an adult in particular. And I think I want to normalize that that's okay. To watch Tiffany's full EOS conference keynote, Big Wins and Battle Scars, check out the EOS Worldwide YouTube channel. We Run on EOS is available on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us so you don't miss an episode. You can learn more about all things EOS at eosworldwide.com. I'm your host, Pam Kusenki, and thanks for listening. visionary or are you an integrator? Or maybe you're not sure, or you don't even know what these words mean. Regardless of which category you fall into, Rocket Fuel University was built to help you get clear on your role and get more out of what you want from your business. Join now to access resources like educational videos, interactive community forums, and monthly IDS sessions, all for free. Head to rocketfueluniversity.com to get started.